And then in the Fanatic form, another pair of Fanatic favorites. One, the whole kit and caboodle that started the Naked Gun series. And the other, a film that defies genres because it's black exploitation, it's kung fu, it's a musical, it's a comedy, it's a whole lot of things here. We're going to talk about The Last Dragon and Police Squad right after this. Happy Friday and welcome to the Fanatic Forum. I'm your prime fanatic and host, George Bueller. Hope everybody's having a good one out there. It has been a week. <laughs> Hope you guys are having a good one out there. Uh, yeah, got a few bits of geek news here. Uh, but of course, we have got uh, some new comics to talk about. And then our two fanatic favorites uh, for this evening, which basically, they don't necessarily work together as a pair because... Police Squad is definitely the beginnings of the Naked Gun series that we know and love with uh, Leslie Nielsen. Um, definitely a comedy, definitely a parody of old school uh, police shows from uh, basically the 50s and the 60s. And then you have The Last Dragon, which was basically uh, produced by the head of Motown, Barry Gordy. Uh, this was supposed to basically be kind of the beginning of an action, you know, kung fu, you know, music, you know, kind of contemporary you know, 80s franchise, and basically it was a one-and-done kind of thing. A lot of interesting stories about this one here, and uh, but yeah, uh, two basically things I grew up with uh, absolutely loving. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about this and then a whole lot more. But anyway, uh, so of course, yeah, I was talking about, you know, a couple of different things here. Uh, first off, um, a couple streaming bits of news here. Um, from wrestling fans, uh, you may be aware of the fact that uh, Impact Wrestling is going back to their original name of TNA Wrestling, Total Nonstop Actions, what it stands for. Not the obvious, what do you think? <laughs> uh, but they're going back to that uh, next year uh, with their January pay-per-view, and then they've got a couple of new ones coming up after that. Well, they've got a new streaming service going to be starting up called TNA+. Plus. Um, I'm not sure what the price point is or when it's actually coming out or whatever else, uh, but it'll be available, you know, everywhere you can find, you know, streaming services, uh, you know, apps, you know, Roku, you know, you know, Apple, Android, yada, 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 the list goes on and on. It'll be available everywhere. Uh, the interesting thing is that the company that owns the streaming service that is running TNA Plus is Endeavor, which is the same company that now runs and owns TKO, which is the company that's you know, WWE and uh, the UFC merged together. So it's like, that's interesting. So it, it's, you know, granted it'll be kind of separate entities. It's not really, you know, TNA wrestling has been around for a long time, but they've always been a smaller tiered company in comparison to the WWE. Uh, not saying they're better, just smaller. Uh, 
either way, you know, they've been around for a long time. So I get, I guess they don't necessarily see it as a threat or anything, but it's just kind of initiating that, that, uh, you know, that all that's kind of come together here. Um, Another uh, very interesting streaming thing that I'm excited about, uh, if you are a subscriber to the uh, formerly known as HBO Max, I just it's weird calling it just Max, but anyway, if you're a subscriber to that, uh, starting next year, uh, they're going to have an exclusive contract with A24 Studios, which means they'll have all the A24 library available on Max, uh, but we'll have earlier access to A24 films that are released in theaters first, uh, then we'll get them on streaming faster. So that means, you know, we got uh, towards the end of the year, we've got the Iron Claw, the uh, wrestling uh, uh, biopic, which I'm looking very forward to. Uh, that's coming out. And of course, uh, we've got the Nosferatu movie that uh, Robert Eggers is doing, who, of course, he was responsible for The Witch and Lighthouse. Um, so, yeah, I can't wait for his Nosferatu remake next year. So, yeah, I mean, H24 has got a whole bunch of cool stuff coming out. So, yeah, looking very forward to that. Um, one thing we haven't talked about, uh, this this news is about a week old because the trailer's been out for a little bit. Uh, we finally have our first look at Furiosa, which is kind of the telling of, uh, uh, oh, I can't remember her name, <laughs> uh, Pissing Furiosa's character in uh, Mad Max Fury Road, Charlie Stanton. Good Lord. Uh, anyway, so Anya Taylor-Joy will be playing the young Charlize Theron's character. Uh, so we get to know kind of, you know, her origin, how she got to the point where we see her in Fury Road. So uh, Chris Hemsworth is also in the movie, kind of playing definitely the bad guy. But it's really cool because uh, since basically this is a Mad Max movie, it's a George Miller movie. Uh, he gets to lean very heavily in his true uh, native uh, Australian accent. Matter of fact, he probably's going to put a little stank on it, I'm sure, because it kind of sounds that way uh, in the trailer. Also, he's got where this weird kind of fake nose application he's got on as well. So I'm sure there's a story about that. But uh, he's a little unrecognizable when you first see him in the trailer and then hear him. But yeah, so it's yeah, it's it's going to be kind of cool to see him. You really kind of bust out and be wacky in this uh, movie more so than he's seen him like, you know, in like the more recent Thor movies. So he, he really gets to kind of let go of this one. So I'm looking forward to that. We got, of course, uh, trailers out for the new uh, Godzilla Kong movie. Uh, but the more important thing is that Godzilla minus one is currently in theaters right now, even in the United States. If you all have not seen this movie, if you've not heard anything about this movie, Highly, highly, highly recommend checking this thing out. Uh, this is a Japanese-made film, uh, so it is in subtitles. Just, you know, if, you, if you have a version of subtitles, you can actually kind of get over this because um, it, it will definitely go down very quickly as a classic Godzilla film. This is technically a prequel. It does take place before the original Godzilla. Um, you care about the humans in this movie uh, more so than you have in, in recent monster films, even in Japanese films. Um, just the effects are fantastic. It just it's it, it works on so many great levels. There's a lot of like you know feel and homage to classic Godzilla movies, like how they used to make them, how the effects used to look, without feeling dated or like it's 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 like a little Easter egg homage, but it it's, it works. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, it comes in like right around two hours. I mean, it's, I, I can't say enough good things about this movie. Um, it very much, it kind of reminds me of the experience the first time I watched, uh, the uh, North Korean film, or sorry, the South Korean film, uh, Train to Busan, uh, the zombie movie. 
Uh, that's in subtitles as well, but it's like you get very invested in the movie. You care about the key, the people in it. And so, you know, it flows very fast, you know, very fast paced movie. So, you know, even though you're reading the film, it, you kind of get absorbed in it. And minus one works that same way. And I, you know, if you're any kind of Godzilla fan, or if you grew up watching the old films, you're like, ah, I don't care for the old one, the new ones now. See minus one. I'm telling you, you won't regret it. Um, yeah, it's important, especially you get close to the holidays. Uh, catch it before it misses theaters because it's kind of fun to see. You know, got an old school kind of Godzilla film in here. But uh, the one thing that's just really precious about this film, of course, it's you know, was made in Japan. It's got Japanese stars. Not many that we, actually none of really American audiences are familiar with right now. Uh, but this was made for fifteen million dollars. Uh, it's already a box office smash in Japan and over, you know, and other countries overseas. Uh, it's doing very well here in the United States box office as well. So, yeah, we're probably going to see a lot more of this. But this is a tremendous lesson to be learned. You know, granted, fifteen million dollars Japanese money is different than you know, fifteen million dollars you know American. But nonetheless, when you've got like movies that come out with like the hundred, two hundred million dollar budgets that are nowhere near as good as this. This came in way under that budget. So it's like, mm, there's there's a lesson here somewhere. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. we've So, yeah, again, if you haven't seen that, definitely go do so. Um, Marvel has updated some more release stuff uh, for their releases for next year. Basically, it's going to be kind of a smaller slate. So anybody who's got a little bit of uh, burnout for uh, superhero movies... You're going to get a little bit of reprieve, at least on the Marvel Disney side. Now, the Marvel Sony stuff that's basically Spider-Verse sort of thing like that, we're still expecting Craven the Hunter and Madam Web. Um, do what you want with those movies. Uh, I'm not interested in either, uh, frankly. Um, but for the MCU side of things, we've got Deadpool 3 still on track for this summer. Uh, I think June, I'm not 100%, maybe May or June, somewhere around there. Uh, but yeah, still on track for that. Uh, but that's it for the MCU. Uh, we've got three uh, series for Disney Plus. Uh, actually, well, technically four. I don't know how long. I know uh, What If Season 2 starts at the end of this year, uh, right, right around Christmas time. But I'm not sure if they're releasing it week to week or if we get it kind of all at once. So the trailer kind of made it think like we might get it all at once. But uh, as for next year goes, we've got Echo in January. Uh, we've got the uh, Agatha Darkhold Diaries uh, series, which is, we still don't know when that's coming out yet. And still the uh, long-awaited X-Men 97 revival, uh, which is the revival of the uh, 90s cartoon. So a lot of the original cast returned to it. So yeah, can't, can't wait. Can't wait, wait for that one here. So... Anywho, let's get on to the comics here. Oh, and we do have a couple comments here, so got to get there. First off here, Jerry Slaughter, good to see you, sir. Uh, says The Last Dragon is one of his favorite flicks. Yeah, mine too. I, I grew up on this one hardcore. Just out, it just it's hit the right time. Um, you know, I, I love Kung Fu. The music was good. And Vanity. Let's, let's be honest. Vanity. <laughs> uh, oh, and love the UHF shirt. Thank you very much. Appreciate you, man. <laughs> well, have a, hope you have a good one at work, man. Appreciate it. Uh, Seth, yeah, Seth Moore, good to see you, sir. He said, you're hype for X-Men 97. Yeah, I'm waiting for a trailer. Like, we've seen 
we know they've shown clips, you know, uh, various Comic Cons. Uh, I think one a couple years ago when it was initially announced, and then I think last year's Comic Con or this year's, where like people got to see almost an entire episode, uh, or at least the first episode. So it's like, why we haven't seen any kind of trailer yet? It's coming this year. Where is this? We shall see. Anyway, so got some comics here. First off, this was one uh, long overdue uh, from DC Comics here because um, Justice League versus Godzilla versus Kong number one uh, came out, you know, about a month or a couple months ago. So we're only we're getting close to issue number three. So, uh, but they had promised these sound effect variant covers here. Uh, so you get, uh, there's a Godzilla one, and there's also a Kong one as well. Uh, they are polybagged. But the great thing about this, and everybody's been nerding out about this this week here, resealable polybags. Traditionally, polybags are something that's sealed. You tear it open, and that thing is torn open for, for life. You can actually reseal these so you can enjoy the book and whatever else, but they put it back in there and give yourself a little bit of extra protection. Because, you know, granted... Polybags are fine short-term, you know, as, as a collector's note, you don't want to keep a book in there long-term with a polybag because eventually the bag will deteriorate and it can also hurt your book. Your traditional bags of boards, your Mylar, stuff like that, whatever you want, you know, what you store your comics in, those are fine. But polybags, eventually they do break down. So it's a weaker kind of plastic. So, But nonetheless, it's very nice that we have this resealable one here. Uh, you've got a Brian Bucatello connecting cover here. So the uh, the Kong book is the other side of this here. So basically you get like the other half of Superman. Uh, the other side has Kong and the rest of the Justice League on here. But the cool thing about this book. And if you didn't get to hear that one more time. Please don't sue me Toho. <laughs> Uh, and the Kong one, obviously, uh, he, you know, growls and snarls and gives a big Kong roar and stuff like that, too. Uh, and the Kong one is orange colored, so you get this nice, you know, colored one here. So uh, these run $15. They're a little bit extra there. Uh, also, another fun tip here when you're storing these, you got to store them in a golden size bag and board. Because basically the device that's in here that makes the noise, which is very similar to like a Hallmark card, uh, is a little thicker. And so, yeah. So, golden bag and board. So, uh, we sold out of the Godzilla ones uh, pretty quick over at Clobberin. Uh, but um, uh, fortunately, we've reordered some. We got a couple of Kongs left. Uh, but yeah, all the Godzillas are sold out, but uh, we will get some in very soon. <laughs> yeah, they, they were, uh, they're, they're, a lot, they're a lot of fun. I've already got my number one normally, but I was like, I can't mix that up. Uh, Bradley Smith, good to see you, sir. Uh, says so he's uh, seen uh, the first Deadpool, but not the second. Uh, very excited for three. Okay, yeah, it's like three. There's going to be a lot of stuff in there, apparently, for three. Uh, and two's a lot of fun. It's worth checking out. Uh, so speaking of movies, this doesn't come out yet. When the heck is Toxic Avenger remake going to be released? That's a good question. We've seen somewhat of like a mini trailer for the Toxic Avenger remake that's got Peter Dinklage in it, which I, it's like it's like a little teaser trailer. We haven't seen like a full trailer. We certainly haven't got a release date yet. So that is a great question, Bradley. And uh, if I hear anything, I'll let y'all know about it. But yeah, I'm, that's on my radar as well for next year. So we, we shall see here. Uh, Seth says that uh, if uh, there were resealable poly bags in the 90s, so many X-Force trading cards would be lost. 
that's a good point. And, and you know, the ironic thing is that uh, all those X Force number ones that came with the trading cards, uh, there's so many price differentiations because you've got like the newsstand version versus the direct edition versus like I think there was some other kind of like Marvel anniversary stamp or something on the front. So there's there's three different kind of variations on what kind of stamp was on there. If it was a direct and a new standard, this anniversary thing. And then depending on what card was also in there is how much it's worth. Currently, the only one that still has any value is the Deadpool trading card uh, for an X-Force number one. Uh, the rest of the X-Force number ones, you could probably get for $10 or less. So there you go. <laughs> there's your there's your 90s fun there for you because uh yeah the crazy thing about the 90s uh era of uh, comics is they printed so many of them that the value is not that great uh so you know your spawn number one doesn't have as much value as say like your spawn 150 because basically the print uh, the print count was getting very low for spawn at that point people started to care a little bit less and so there's like a run of like Spawn and Savage Dragon for about a hundred issues each that uh, they're a little pricey and very hard to get a hold of because the fans that have these books, they're not getting rid of them anytime soon. So they're still, you know, a great value and hard to get a hold of. So matter of fact, I'm helping junior fanatic Seth get his uh, Savage Dragon collection back in order. And it's not easy. We've got thousands of books in that store. It's like, where are the Savage Dragon books? There you go. They're the same place all those Spawn books are. The new stuff here. Uh, next up here, we've got Batman 140. Uh, of course, we've still got problems with uh, Bruce's brain. He is a little bit broken right now. Uh, and uh, so his Zer in our mental backup persona has taken over and is causing a lot of problems. Um, and he's decided basically to kind of, you know, this is a much more brutal, intense Batman, and definitely one that doesn't mind killing because he straight up goes for the Joker and he has every intention of killing him. I don't want to spoil everything that happens in this issue, but as I've been telling people all week that's coming to the shop, this may very well be an important issue because there is a certain important event in Batman history that is mirrored in this issue except a little bit different. So, yes, uh, but yeah, it does involve Batman and Joker here. A lot of other things happen in this issue, but yeah, I'm just loving the Chip Zdarsky run uh, and, uh, you know, Jorge Jimenez's art. I just, you know, it's fantastic. So uh, zero complaints about the Batman run right now, and it's just getting, getting better and better. So, yeah, really, really good. And I just, I, I love this kind of like broken down Bruce Wayne here too. He's no resources, no team, you know, barely any gadgetry. He's living in like a brownstone. Uh, so, and his apartment kind of looks like, you know, when you see like those crazy people in conspiracy movies, whatnot, like they don't have a lot of furniture in their place. They've got the, they got their conspiracy board on the wall there with all the strings attached to stuff like that. They got a few of their gadgetry and they're always building some things. They got a, a workbench. That's basically what Bruce's place looks like these days. So uh, we are far, far, far away from stately Wayne Manor these days and Batman, which, again, makes him all the more interesting. Uh, a couple of things from Marvel here, a couple of number ones. Uh, one that intrigued me, we'll see where this series goes from here, but a um, new miniseries titled The Century. Now, of course, if you know your Marvel comic stuff, Bob Reynolds, a.k.a. The Century, who was like, 
the had the power of a million exploding suns. Essentially, the uh, Marvel Universe's version or a version of Superman uh, if he was completely crazy, just split persona. His alter ego was his worst enemy called the Void, but it was also like the worst power of you know, the worst side of his power come to come to life. So essentially he was his own worst enemy, uh, extremely dangerous, uh, but he was ripped in half by Null, the uh, uh, symbiote god during the whole King and Black storyline. So we haven't seen the Sentry in a long time. His powers have now started to return to five random people, no connection whatsoever. Uh, and so now we've kind of almost got like a Highlander kind of situation here where some of them are feeling like, hey, if I take out the others, the power will get greater and I'll just have all the Sentry's powers. Because apparently when you get it, you start getting his memories as well. So you know what power it is, where it's coming from, that sort of thing like that. So again, very int intrigued here. Uh, so written by Jason Liu. Uh, the art team is Luigi Zagaria and Arthur Heisel. So not familiar with this team here. So a younger uh, group of people on here. But again, the art's uh, good. I'm intrigued by the story. So yeah, we'll see where it goes from here. But uh, <clears throat> also we've got some familiar people uh, as well. We've got Jessica Jones, who's kind of uh, also a bit of rogue investigating all these power pop-ups uh, because essentially whenever someone gets these sentry powers, uh, there's a lot of like rampant destruction when it, when it happens because essentially now they're like imbued with all this power and they don't know what to do with it. And so sometimes they fly out of buildings, the buildings collapse, you know, it's all kinds of things. So, and also there's a new organization in the Marvel universe that Misty Knight uh, is currently, doesn't seem like she's the head of it, but she's definitely one of the lead agents that kind of comes in and investigates uh, superhero phenomena and stuff within the city because currently in the Marvel Universe, uh, superheroes and vigilantes are illegal. Uh, so none of that stuff should be happening in New York unless you are part of the Thunderbolts, which they are the government sanctioned group. But they're kind of non-existent at this point either. So yeah, a lot of turmoil in the Marvel Universe. So it's interesting to see that power return uh, and what they're going to do with it in the future. So. We'll see here. Get to a couple of comments here real quick. Uh, Bradley Smith says, uh, I think the reason Spawn wasn't popular uh, was the crappy writing by Todd McFarlane. Yeah, that's, he's kind of... Todd's writing started off really good with Spawn, but there's a lot of threads that he didn't tie up, and then he left the book, and then you've had a lot of other writers come and go from there. So uh, apparently some of the stuff gets better than apparently when Todd... You know, decided to get back to Spawn uh, when we're kind of gearing up for issue 300. So he gets right in there somewhere around like the last 20 or so issues and kind of gets things going. So apparently Spawn does get better. So I don't know. You know, you be the judge of that. But yeah, there you are. And Seth says, uh, you know, my Savage Dragon quest is a mountain to scale. It is, yes, because not, you know, not necessarily because the books are expensive. They're just difficult to find. So I don't think it'd be a little expensive. You know, the, the Savage Dragon versus God uh, probably is a, a pricey issue. It typically is. And I think the uh, uh, cover that has uh, uh, Barack Obama on it, I think is also a pricey book. So either way. But for the most part, they're just difficult to find. Back to our new ones here. Uh, one more from Marvel. Uh, we've got the new run of Thunderbolts. Speaking of them. 
This, on the other hand, is not the government-sanctioned team here. This essentially is a runoff from the uh, Colin Kelly, Jackson Lansing run of uh, Captain America Sentinel of Liberty. So this is essentially the story of what Bucky is going to be up to now. Uh, but he's got Sharon Carter in tow with him, uh, good old S.H.I.E.L.D. and former Madame Hydra stalwart, uh, Allegra Contessa de Fontaine pops back up in here, uh, Red Guardian shows up. Uh, but anyway, this is basically Bucky's team here. And essentially, since he was a part of the outer, or the outer circle and saw literally how the world really runs, where the power comes from and what to actually do with it sort of thing, sort of thing like that. So we got a lot of espionage, intrigue, that sort of thing. Uh, but Bucky's decided that there are many threats that are within the Marvel Universe that need to be eliminated. No nice guy stuff here, no superheroing. This is hunt and kill. And target numero uno is the Red Skull. And let me tell you, the ending of this book is killer. No pun intended. Yeah, so um, I, I love Kelly and Lansing as a, a writing team. So uh, yeah, looking very forward to uh, what this series is going to be. And I, I'm not sure if this is going to be a full series or if this is a mini series as well. So I think they're going to try for a full series. We'll see how it goes. Um, also, uh, one little bit of uh, uh, note for Marvel fans. Um, if you're currently reading Avengers Inc., I uh, do unfortunately have some bad news. Uh, the series is being canceled, uh, and they're canceling it on issue five. So issue five will be the, unfortunately, final issue of uh, Avengers Inc., which Al Ewing was writing, uh, which then followed the exploits of uh, Janet Van Dyne, the Wasp, and this mystery partner uh, taking the name Victor Shade, who may or may not partially be an android, uh, kind of investigating certain crimes around the Marvel Universe. Uh, kind of a... Um, I would compare it to the old 80s series, kind of a heart-to-heart -heart sort of thing like that. So it was like, you know, high-class crime or high-class superhero kind of crime, uh, a little bit of a quirky feel to it, and you had not a romantic pairing, but definitely a male-female pairing uh, sort of thing. So an odd comparison, I know, but I like the book. I like the way the style of uh, it was. Uh, it wasn't a, a fantastic book, but I kind of liked it, and... Unfortunately, it's not faring well, but you know that 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 happens. Unfortunately, as a common tale uh, amongst comic books, sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. When they don't, they cancel. Pair of uh, independents here before we get to our movies here, uh, and we come through for the holidays with some good ones here. We have the Creep Show Holiday Edition for 2023 here from Image Comics. Uh, of course, uh, I've talked about how much I love the Creepshow series uh, since Image Comics has brought it back. They're, in, they're currently in the second volume here, so we've got another issue coming up, I think, either by the end of the year or uh, somewhere in time in January. Uh, but this is just a one-shot in for the holidays. It has two stories in here. Both are Christmas-related, uh, and they do not disappoint. So if you love your good old-fashioned uh, horror anthology, uh, morality tale kind of stuff here, uh, where the bad guys always get their just desserts in the end, sort of stuff like that. Uh, but of course, in classic brutal crew show ways. <laughs> so nonetheless, yeah, they, I just I, I can't say enough good things about it. But lots of fun here. Uh, and another one shot here from the 
Boom Studios imprint Stuff of Nightmares, which is brought to us by R.L. Stein. Yes, that R.L. Stein. Uh, this is called Sleigh Ride. Uh, so again, this is a one-shot here, but the story on this one is basically we've got a mall Santa who has lost his job and does not take it well. And apparently goes around um, deciding that, you know what, it's it's enough time for Santa giving presents. Santa should start taking presents for himself. And again, things happen. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's a lot of murder, a lot of mayhem, as uh, typical stuff of Nightmares is. But yeah, I really enjoy this imprint here. And you could tell R.L. Stein is having a lot of fun uh, getting to kind of really cut loose. I mean, this is not goosebump stuff here. This is this is gory, you know, uh, you know, good old-fashioned horror sort of thing like that. But yeah, you could tell he's just having a great time cutting loose here. Uh, let's see, he's got a question here. Uh, what Creepshow issues would we recommend for a good read? Uh, that's actually a great question. Uh, honestly, Creepshow works uh, as a horror anthology that does not connect. So each issue will contain typically two stories, sometimes three. Usually like the first issue of each volume will have like three stories in there. But uh, Image is on their second uh, volume right now. So the first one came out a few years ago, I believe. And then, you know, currently they're in volume two right now. I think issue three, what came out previously. Uh, but, the night, but the great thing about Creepshow is that you can buy any book you want. Uh, they got, a, you know, a couple of stories in there. You've got the Creeper, who's always your host for each story, kind of setting you up. Uh, you've got a different creative team for each story in each issue. So you've got basically a pair of creative teams. So it's really kind of like just fun picking. Like if you only like certain kind of writers or artists, you know, they've, you know, they may pop up in Creepshow. Uh, you can check their, you know, book out. Um, or if you just only like, you know, certain covers or you see what the stories are, uh, sort of thing like that. So that's it, that's kind of the fun. It's kind of, kind of the same way with, like, you know, Tales from the Crypt or Vault of Horror sort of thing like that. You can literally pick up any issue and enjoy it for what it is and not have to worry about getting the previous issues like you're missing anything like that. So, yeah. Rip, rip loose and have fun, Bradley, because, uh, yeah, that's, you know, that's the great thing about Creepshow. <laughs> it's like I said, just like the old Tales from the Crypt or Vault of Horror, you know, House of Secrets, House of Mystery, Ghosts, all those horror anthology books. That, you know, you just picked up the one that's, that had, had a cool cover or you knew you liked the, uh, the writer or artist or maybe, you know, the story looked good in there or something like that. So, yeah, that's the way I'd go. So uh, we're going to take a break here for just a second to acknowledge our sponsor, Comic Books for Kids, and then we'll be right back with our movies for today. Be right back. Comic Books for Kids provides comic books to kids in hospitals and cancer centers across the U.S. It's a place where we can all work together to make sure every child has a comic book. 100% of all proceeds go towards the kids. It's about making a difference, and while they're in the hospital, allowing them to fly like a superhero, battle dragons, or rescue teddy bears. We are in every state in the country and now support over 160 hospitals. Every month, we add more. Visit cb4k.org. And we're back. And, of course, uh, just to tell you guys what I was talking about last week, uh, this year's Multiverse Fundraiser, which is basically the annual fundraiser that we do uh, through the whole Serial Box Network. So we have the weekend of January 25th through the 27th. Uh, basically, we 
you know, you get all this, your favorite shows, but we have special guests come on. Uh, you can uh, donate uh, to Comic Books for Kids, who is our uh, charity this year. Uh, you can donate to them. Uh, you can get, uh, you know, basically be put in for door prizes, all kinds of cool stuff we're giving away. Uh, but yeah, it's just basically, it's an online con. So uh, it's basically just works like, you know, what you know, Fanatic Forum normally does or any of the other shows you watch throughout the Serial Box Network. But uh, just, you know, special guests, all that sort of thing like that. And maybe a little bit of, you know, intermingling between other hosts and stuff like that as we toss over to each other. But yeah, uh, usually I think... Uh, uh, we're starting somewhere around like uh, 9 or 10 a.m. in the morning, and we go to like 4 o'clock each day. So, yeah, all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, but uh, my special guest for the Fanatic Forum for that weekend, which I'll be on a special time uh, at 6 p.m. Eastern as opposed to 7, uh, my special guest is I get to talk to Marvel artist legend Bob Hall, uh, which I'm very excited about. Bob is an extremely prolific artist. Uh, I grew up with a lot of his cover art and interior art, especially I'm a big Avengers guy, as you know. So he was all over Avengers, West Coast Avengers, but like, you know, series like Marvel Team Up, G.I. Joe uh, was, you know, we saw a lot of his cover art for that. Uh, later on, uh, some of the Valiant stuff like Armed and Dangerous, Shadow Man. Uh, he was on a little bit of DC, but not too much. He mostly stuck with uh, Marvel and the Indies. Uh, then later on, uh, he uh, got into uh, writing a little bit more, so branched out with that. And he's a bit of a theater nut as well, and has written several plays. So we're going to talk about all that kind of stuff and a whole lot more, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, I can't wait. He's, he's, you know, his art was a big part of my childhood, so it would be nice to give him his flowers. Uh, and uh, all kinds of questions and stories, because uh, Bob loves to tell stories. So yeah, I can't wait. So. All right. So for our picks for Fanatic favorites this week here, um, I've got, like I said, two that did not match up at all here. Uh, but the first one here is Police Squad in color. <laughs> uh, I bought this DVD a long time ago when this came out. Uh, let's see what this is. 2006 is when this initially came out. So, uh, But the series Police Squad was initially released in 1982, uh, aired on CBS uh, only six episodes uh, were made and before the series was canceled. Uh, this was supposed to be kind of the next vehicle to, you know, basically since Leslie Nielsen got so much uh, new fame uh, with Airplane and then kind of doing a lot more comedies that he initially did not do before. Because uh, traditionally he was a character actor, leading man sort of thing like that. So he played uh, tough guys, romantic guys, leading men, heroes, all sorts of you know, things like that before he basically found his comedy niche. Uh, and that's basically what he did for the remainder of his career in life. Uh, anywho, but so, um, yeah, like I said, Police Squad, for whatever reason, it just didn't click with TV audiences. They didn't get it. Uh, the ratings didn't, you know, you know, do very well. So again, like I said, after six episodes, it was canceled, which is extremely unfortunate because it was, you know, if you enjoyed Airplane, uh, and, you know, later on, like, you know, Top Secret, uh, and then eventually, of course, the Naked Gun films, which the first one comes out, what, in 1988, I believe. So it was basically, like, six years before they got the movie off the ground, and then basically we get three movies, and those were hits, so the rest is history. Uh, but the uh, the series is very much like the Naked Gun films, where, uh, you know, it starts off with the uh, the Ira Levin 
uh, theme and you've got the top of the police car with the light siren on there. Now, of course, the movies took it one further with basically the police car going everywhere, then basically going in places cars shouldn't normally go and all sorts of jokes like that. But um, you always had like, you know, uh, very, you know, traditional opening credits uh, with Leslie Nielsen just looking like the tough guy cop or whatever else, you know, busting some bad guys and the rest of the cast in there. Uh, a running joke in every episode was there was always a guest star announced, but the guest star basically was killed in the opening credits. Like the uh, the pilot, uh, Lauren Green from Bonanza and Battlestar Galactica fame, uh, is basically, you know, thrown out of the back of a car and he's got a knife in his chest. So, especially just Lauren Green and Lauren Green's dead, you know, <laughs> sort, you know sort of things like that. Uh, they would also have special guests because there was a running gimmick of uh, Jimmy the Shoeshine Kid, which basically... This was not a kid. He was a grown man who probably looked like he was in his 40s uh, at that point. But Jimmy the Shoeshine was the informant for Frank Drebin, uh, but also was the informant for anybody else that would come up to, afterwards. So you'd have like, uh, you know, a police captain asking questions, a fireman asking questions. And you got, doc, you know, Dr. Joyce Brothers popping in for a cameo uh, asking, you know, psychology questions or, you know, a doctor's asking how to perform surgery. And then, of course, the favorite one in the final episode is Dick Clark shows up uh, asking about what ska music is. And so Johnny, the informant, has to, you know, you know, the, you know, Tell them what ska music is, and then basically the running joke afterwards is that, oh, hey, you got any more of that eternal youth cream formula, you know, eternal youth formula cream. And so basically he, you know, hands this thing of like, well, it looks like Avon cream, and he just starts spreading this white stuff all over his face and runs off. So there you go. <laughs> so lots of, you know, uh, gags like that. But, you know, this whole series is nothing but joke after joke after joke of either like, physical comedy, sight gags, uh, you know, lines thrown away where basically, you know, Leslie kind of, you know, wrecks and, you know, turning his head sort of thing like that. So a lot of the stuff that you love, especially in the first Naked Gun film, you see a lot of these jokes pop up throughout the series here. Um, the only other person aside from Leslie Nielsen that carries over from the series to the movies uh, is the lab guy. Um, basically he's the only one because you've got the Ed Harkin character played by Alan North in the television show. But then when they get to the movies, he's played by George Kennedy. Um, the, uh, character of, uh, Ed Nordberg, who is also one of the cops that in the movies is played, unfortunately by OJ Simpson, uh, in the TV series, he Nordberg is not introduced until the third episode. Uh, and then when he finally is, uh, he's basically like a white Italian guy. But he is still doopy and, you know, he, he's, he's, yeah, 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 he's, he, he's not running on all of his faculties and he's, just a, he's a simple fellow, but he's a sweet boy. But <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, you basically usually have like, you know, your typical, you've got a case and you've got to, you know, solve it or there's a murder or robbery or something like that. So it's always the, the, the typical drama of, you know, a police, you know, procedural where you have to solve a case or do whatever else. But then, of course, like a lot of hilarity happens, sight gags, all that sort of stuff like that. Um, the Another common sight gag is that every episode, you know, the episode title comes up and, you know, you get basically like Ring of Fear is the episode title that comes up. But then the voiceover says a dangerous assignment. And that happens every episode. So basically there's one thing that pops up and then it says another. So, again, just 
the same kind of jokes that you love from the Zucker brothers and Jim Abrams uh, are just all over this six episode series here. So uh, I think currently you can still get the DVD, even though it may be a UK one that still reads you free. Uh, but there's also, I believe, kind of a Blu-ray box set that has like all six episodes of Police Squad and the Three Naked Gun film. Uh, or you can basically, uh, I think you can uh, stream this uh, or rent it on Amazon uh, Prime as well. So it is available for streaming. Uh, but yeah, if you've never seen the original Police Squad series, I highly, highly recommend, especially if you love the Naked Gun movies, Airplane, you love Leslie Nielsen stuff. Yeah, highest recommendation. Please check that out. It is hilarious. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Bradley's asking, uh, did Police Squad inspire Police Academy, or was that uh, one of National Lampoon's films? Uh, actually, no, uh, neither one was National Lampoon. Uh, both were independent. Uh, like I said, the, the Police Squad is part of the, the, uh, the uh, Jerry and David and Jim Abrams, uh, Jerry and David Zucker, and then Jim Abrams, kind of their whole family of their comedies. And, you know, of course, they only have you know, one series there. But uh, Police Academy was a uh, different franchise. Uh, that wasn't connected to National Lampoon. Uh, it was more of like, it didn't, I don't know if it necessarily inspired it because this was more of like, you know, not so much a direct, Police Academy wasn't so much a direct parody of, uh, you know, the old police TV shows as Police Squad was and the Naked Gun movies were as well. Uh, police Academy was more of kind of like, you know, hey, these other movies like, you know, Revenge of the Nerds and Animal House and stuff like that are popular. What if we do that with cops? So that's kind of what that was. So, uh, yeah, so I'm not sure if that, I, as far as I know, I don't think there's any inspiration, but it is interesting that we kind of have, you know, there's not a lot of cop comedies out there uh, that are either like, you know, straight making fun of police or showing them in a different light. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Time will tell. All right, our second film for tonight here, and this one, like I said, defies genres because you think it's a kung fu movie, you think it's a black exploitation film, but it is filled with music, it's filled with comedy, it's got a ton of heart. I'm talking about 1985's The Last Dragon. Uh, this was produced by Barry Gordy. Uh, who was the father of Motown? And in the, uh, I realized when I was uh, doing the write up about this uh, that I said, "Oh, this is only for Ray in a film, except for Lady Sings the Blues and Mahogany and a lot of Diana Ross movies." So, no, this was not Barry Gordy's only foray into uh, movies, but it was the only kind of action movie because they thought, "Hey, you know, there's a lot of other black exploitation stuff that's out there. Why can't we do you know one that's basically kind of you know." A little bit more our speed has, you know, our music in it, you know, because we've got all these other artists here in the, under the Motown labels. So we can, you know, put that in there, you know, and do kind of our own thing here. So that was the initial idea. And they came up with the idea of like, oh, hey, what if we get, you know, some kid who's like really into Kung Fu and basically, you know, they kind of just made up the story around just, you know, a fish out of water kind of kid, even though he grew up in the neighborhood. But, you know, then he goes on to, you know, fight crime and do, you know, heroic things, whatnot. Uh, so there was, of course, a drive to find out who is going to play the lead character of Leroy Green, a.k.a. Bruce Leroy. Uh, so they really were going after, like, every black actor 
who was up and coming at that point in the 80s. And it's really interesting because you've got this list, like one of the more obvious choices because of his martial arts background, and he was also probably the right age, Billy Blanks, who we know from uh, a lot of, you know, uh, B&C movie, uh, Kung Fu and action films, uh, the late 80s, especially through the 90s. Then, of course, he went on to create the Tai Bo exercise program. That's basically what he's best known for. The guy hasn't aged in 30 years, probably due to Tai Bo and his fitness regime, so good on you, Billy. Uh, but also other people that were considered for the role uh, were Wesley Snipes, uh, Mario Van Peebles, Lawrence Fishburne, and my personal favorite, Denzel Washington. If you know The Last Dragon, can you imagine Denzel Washington playing Bruce Leroy? <laughs> so, yeah, interesting there. Instead, we go with a, uh, a basically a new star, someone that you know we weren't familiar with. Uh, this literally was his first film, uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, Ty Mac. Um, just the casting directors and the producers loved him. They loved his energy, and he was just this you know great looking dude. He had a martial arts background. Uh, he seemed to have some good charisma about him. Very polite guy. Didn't seem to have a lot of ego to him, sort of thing like that. So, like that's our guy. Uh, we can make a star out of him, yada, yada, yada. Um, and so we, you know, we get this, we've got our, you know, producers, we've got our writers, so now basically we have to find our director. This was actually a fantastic choice because they chose Michael Schultz. Now, Michael Schultz basically is greatly known for, you know, tons and tons and tons of black cinema, uh, essentially starting in the 70s, doing, you know, doing a little bit of TV in the, in the late 60s, but really doing a lot of stuff in the 70s. Uh, working, I think he did like ended up like doing three films of Richard Pryor, uh, but he would do like Cooley High, the original Car Wash, uh, Busted Loose. So there's two, there's two right there with you know Pryor, uh, Crush Groove, and one of my personal favorites of the '80s, Disorderlies. That's right, starring the Fat Boys. Let me tell you, that movie is funny as hell, and those guys should have done more comedies because they like. It worked. Just it that was stupid. It was like it was like watching like three stooges with like rap in it. It just it worked. It was awesome. And so yeah, Michael Schultz was handed the reins for directing this one. Fantastic choice here. Uh and like I said, this movie is just it is you couldn't have, you know, put this in any other decade aside from the nineteen eighties. It just it screams everything eighties here. Uh, but it is full of life and color. Uh you got music by like Stevie Wonder, Smokey Robinson, who of course were staples of the Motown label. Uh, then you had like newer groups like DeBarge, who you know, were you know later on El DeBarge when he left them and did solo stuff. But uh, the big hit from this uh, movie was Rhythm of the Night. Uh, then you had other stalwarts like Willie Hutch, who basically he was kind of more of a uh, uh, producer performer, but he of course did The Glow, uh, which strangely enough that kind of popped back up in pop culture again with uh, I think Planet Fitness. Uh, ads. So, yeah, we're starting to see the glow pop up again here, but uh, the movie also stars Vanity, which, you know, she was gorgeous back in the day here. Uh, she plays Laura Charles, who, uh, she runs a club and a dance TV show called Seventh Heaven, uh, which, you know, of course, if you were young enough to not realize that, uh, basically back in the day, like, dance TV shows were a huge thing. Um, and a lot of times you had some regional shows, uh, that were big, then you also had like shows that were national and were seen, you know, all across the country. 
but literally it was kids dancing to popular music. You had stuff like Soul Train, you had uh, Dance Fever, you had American Bandstand, you know, they're, 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 the list goes on and on and on. Like I said, you know, there were even regional ones as well. Um, you know, you had 80s movies like Girls Just Want to Have Fun that literally were surrounded around an entire one of these dance shows here. But nonetheless, The Last Dragon had one of their own. So uh, Fanny was the star and producer of the show. And so, again, this basically she would do some of her songs or would play pops, you know, popular songs, whatever else. And the kids would dance to it. And it's all on TV. Um, you've got a producer, entrepreneur, general bad guy by the name of Eddie Arcadian, who is uh, kind of pressuring uh, Laura Charles to play his stable of artists, uh, their videos on her shows, and basically all of his artists suck. They're just, they're bad. Even like he's got his girlfriend who does songs and she's terrible as well. So it, basically Laura has good taste, doesn't want to play her stuff. So he basically decides I'm going to kidnap her. Uh, and, you know, there you go. Um, all the while, basically our, you know, titular hero, Bruce Leroy, uh, sees this kidnapping happen and tries to basically, you know, you know, basically he's going to end up freeing her. On the other hand, though, we have this gang of basically kung fu bad guys led by Sho Nuff, the Shogun of Harlem, uh, who's played by uh, Julius Carey, who basically he's done tons of work since this movie uh, in both film and television. Uh, he is not a kung fu guy. That was kind of his chief complaint about the film is that he's like, you know, the acting stuff is great, but it's like, I look like crap doing the kung fu stuff because I don't know what I'm doing. So he worked a lot, trained a lot, but he did not have the background that like Ty Mac had and a lot of other people that are in the movie that are either like stunt performers or other people who had martial arts backgrounds that are basically just giving kind of little bit characters. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Ernie Rise Jr. is in the film. He's very young. Uh, he's itty bitty, but yeah, he's in the movie. And of course he goes on to have a, uh, acting career, stunt career. He's a freaking Ninja Turtle. So, you know, <laughs> he, he does a lots of other things here. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, so we've got basically, yeah, this evil Eddie Arcadian and then Shonuff are both, you know, thorns on the side for Bruce Leroy. Um, Shonuff is definitely a much more powerful uh, fighter than Bruce is at this point. Uh, he's still trying to gain his confidence, still trying to, you know, learn the ways of, you know, the, the fighter and things like that. Um, and his master has told him of this, apparently the glow, this power that kind of comes from within. Basically, it's you know, like your chi force, you know, in Chinese, uh, you know, lore and Kung Fu. It's basically, you know, it's in, in your inner energy that you can actually summon and, you know, use outwardly, especially, you know, you can train yourself and do this, you know, as, as a fighter. Uh, I don't know if you can actually like physically glow or make fireballs like Iron Fist does, but you know, sort of thing like that. So um, eventually Bruce, you know, does get the glow and kick the ass of Bruce Lee, of, 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 sorry, of Show Enough and his gang, uh, gets Laura Charles back from Eddie Arcadian and gets his big kiss and all that kind of good stuff here. So like I said, just the movie is filled with just a lot of heart, a lot of fun, a lot of comedy. Um, and just, it's one of those 80 staples that uh, it unfortunately didn't do great at the box office. I don't know why. I don't know if it's a marketing issue or whatever else. Uh, but there, it, it's it you know it lives in the hearts of a lot of people who watched it, and grew up with it like I did. Uh, so it, it deserves its uh, its praise. And there has been talk over the years of 
a revival, kind of a um, kind of a legacy sequel sort of thing like that. Because originally there was going to be a sequel um, about a year or so later, uh, but Time Mac basically turned it down. His experience on the film was a little mixed, and then his reaction to his initial stardom also was a little mixed. So he kind of like, yeah, I'm just going to leave acting behind. And so he's basically spent uh, the last couple of decades. Uh, helping kids uh, in underprivileged areas and, you know, basically, you know, building confidence, being, you know, positive role model kind of stuff. Uh, he does a lot of uh, uh, martial arts training for, he's got his own dojo. So he's been keeping up. The dude has barely aged. Like, he, I mean, like, he just looks, he, he looks just as good as he did in the 80s. So it's like, yeah. So there's a very serious talk of a uh, kind of a legacy sequel coming up. I don't know. It's, it hasn't been anything, you know, anything shot just yet, but you know, it's, it's been passed around like the last couple of years recently that they're trying to get things going for this again. So we shall see. Um, also another little interesting tidbit, uh, William H. Macy uh, has a blink and you'll miss it cameo here. Basically he is a, uh, a producer for seventh heaven uh, that works for loyal Charles. And basically he has been getting pressured uh, by the evil Eddie Arcadian to play these videos, and maybe he seems to be in debt to Eddie uh, in a way that he is unfortunately uh, doesn't want to be in. So, uh, yeah, so the baby, but he's it's a very blinking, you'll miss a cameo towards the beginning of the movie, uh, and the jacket he is wearing. Um, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll let you be the judge of that one, but it's uh, there's some interesting fashion in the film, and William H. Macy's haircut and jacket are. Part of that interesting fashion. <laughs> uh, oh, also another interesting thing too is uh, Keisha Knight Pullum. Uh, of course, you know we know her as Rudy from the Cosby Show. Um, she is in the film, and literally this uh, like the Cosby Show has barely been going a year, so she's like very teeny tiny. She's uh, Leroy's uh, little sister, um, but yeah, just yeah, absolutely. Like I said, just you know, I cannot say enough good things about the Last Dragon. Uh, if you have not seen it, I highly recommend checking it out. Unfortunately, uh, it is streaming for rentals. You can rent it on uh, YouTube and Amazon and stuff like that. Uh, but I don't believe it's streaming on any service right now. So, uh, But the uh, Blu-ray is available. Uh, this, Let's see. Who released this one? Oh, Sony released this one. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, it's still under the Sony TriStar label. So, uh, the Blu-ray 30th Anniversary Edition is still widely available. Um, yeah. And it's got a lot of extra features on here, too. Uh, making of stuff like that, return, uh, you know, interviews, um, commentary, all that good stuff like that, the original trailer. So, yeah, definitely worth checking out. It's a great transfer and all that good stuff. So, all right. Well, that is it for this evening for our pair of uh, Fanatic Favorites. Next week is our last week of Fanatic Favorite Pairs, and uh, we're going to go a little uh, uh, modern noir here because... Uh, I've got a couple of uh, interesting movies here. Definitely, these would be under the more obscure banner here. But um, we're going with a uh, older Michael Caine film, Pulp, uh, which is one of my favorites of his uh, later 70s, early 80s films. Uh, and then the uh, Ryan Johnson, his breakout debut film, Brick, which stars Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, which is a... 40s era Dash Deal Hammett style of, uh, you know, mystery noir kind of film set in a modern day Southern California high school. The entire cast is teenagers, but they don't act like teenagers. 
and it's a murder mystery kind of movie here uh, with an unconventional sleuth uh, and a very unconventional cast and a fantastic film by a guy who uh, he goes on to do lots of good things. And of course, we know he loves him some mystery stuff thanks to his Knives Out series. So yeah, we're going to talk about both those for our last two pairs of Fanatic favorites. So with that, I leave you guys for this week. So I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. So I invite you all to, of course, like and share the Fanatic Forum with those who have not seen me before here. Uh, all are welcome. You know, please join the conversation here. Uh, but yeah, we will return one more time next week here. And we will see you then next week. So have a good one. Take care.